Welcome again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again today as we look into the Word of God and trust that you're getting some help as we glean through the Scriptures here on the Searching the Scriptures radio program. On this program, we are interested in what the Bible says, not merely what someone thinks it means. And so what we intend to do is to take the Word of God as it is written and expound it as it is written that you might see the truth of the Word of God, and that you might be strengthened in your faith and walk with God. And so uh, this week, I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 23, and we always invite our listening audience to follow along in the Scriptures with us. Luke chapter 23, we're going to read a very familiar passage of Scripture to you, and yet we're going to look at it from some different angles today and think about some things that I hope will be a blessing to you. Luke chapter 23, Dr. Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost And we come here in Luke 23 and find the conversion of a thief. And of course, he is Dr. Luke here. The Gospel of Luke is the only one who records this conversion account. And we come to verse 39 of Luke chapter 23, verse 39. And here's what the Bible says. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Does not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What a great conversion account in the simplicity of Jesus Christ. That Bible still says, For by grace... Are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not of works, and we find this dying thief passed from death to life. That morning he was condemned to die and would have been condemned before the judgment throne of God, but instead he comes out of the dungeon that morning, and before the sun sets that evening, he is with Jesus Christ in paradise. And so it's a wonderful classic story of the simple conversion of a repentant and believing thief who came to Jesus Christ in the 11th hour. I believe it was D.L. Moody who said, certainly men can be saved on their deathbeds. The Bible records one man in his dying hour getting saved. However, it's only one time you find a man being converted that late in life. And the reason that there's one account of it is so that no one would despair, but also sinners would then not presume And there is a great wisdom in that statement. But I want to look at this conversion and I want to look at the dying thief maybe from a different angle than what we've looked at it before today and see if we can glean some truths that would be a help to all of us. And I want to talk about some things that sometimes get overlooked in this passage or may never have even been considered by my listening audience. I kind of think of uh, the old talk show host, Paul Harvey. When I was a little boy, my dad listened to him on the radio, and I can always remember how you hung on every word of Paul Harvey, and he would always start his broadcast out by saying, and now for the rest of the story. And so let's get the rest of the story here on this dying thief. Let's talk about some things that maybe we haven't thought about before. Number one, how about the dying thief's parents? You say, well, they're not mentioned in this text. No, but you know, this young man or older man, however, I have no idea how old this dying thief was. Uh, He was old enough to get into trouble with the law and be put to death for it. But yet this young man who was dying uh, outside the city walls of Jerusalem that day, blessed to be dying next to the Son of God, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, had parents, a mother and a father somewhere. Maybe they were at the foot of the cross. 
Maybe they were there watching their son die. Probably not. I know very few parents that would come to the execution of their dear son. And let me tell you something. I don't care how bad he had lived. There was still a set of parents somewhere who were grieving on this day. And you say, boy, what kind of parents must he have had to have raised up uh, such a loser, such a thief, such a, a, a wrongdoer? Well, let me just remind you of something today that I hope will encourage some Christian parents who may have prodigals today. Did you ever consider that Cain and Abel were born to the same set of parents, Adam and Eve, and were raised in the same household together? And one loved God and was accepted by God, according to Genesis 4, while the other one had murder in his heart and blood on his hands before his life was over and lived the life of a vagabond the rest of his days. Both of those boys, those are brothers, they were raised up under the same tutoring uh, in the same household. And can I tell you something? Many times we tend to blame parents uh, for more than probably we should. Now, understand me that there is no doubt that parents can make tragic mistakes in the training of their children that will increase their chances of being a flop when it comes to serving Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about that. But listen, you can do what the Bible says. Remember that promise in Proverbs 22, 6 that is so often quoted? It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, did you get that? When he is old, he'll not depart from it. You know, there's a, there's a, something that goes around among Christian people and people call it covenant theology. Now I am not, I do not believe in covenant theology and basically it's saying this, that if mom and dad are saved, that guarantees that the children will be saved and enter into eternal life. Well, no, I don't believe that. I believe that if mom and dad are saved, that the children have a good chance of getting saved, a better chance possibly. You could look at it that way. They're brought up in a home that reveres and honors God where Jesus Christ is honored. Those homes typically produce Christian people. But I'm going to tell you something. Salvation is an individual move of faith toward God. It is repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Children are not Christians. Kids and teenagers do not become Christians simply because mom and dad are. Somewhere in their life, they have got to turn to God and put their faith in the Lamb of God in order to be saved. Now, I'm going to pray for my three boys and my daughter. I'm going to try to show them how Christians honor and revere the Lord by how I live. I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to set up a family altar so that if they die in their sins and go to hell, they'll have to have to stumble over my family altar of prayer in my house. But I'm going to tell you something. My children will individually have to choose Jesus Christ on their own. I cannot, I cannot believe for them. And the fact that Cain and Abel were raised in the same home um, does shows you that it is possible that this dying thief had some good parents who taught him the way that was right. You say, well, where in the world would you get an idea like that? Well, I notice in our text of Luke 23 that this man, when it came time to die, began to fear God and knew how to pray. I wonder where he learned that at. I'll tell you something. Remember the scripture, what it said? We quoted it. Train up a child in the way he should go. It didn't say he would go. It just said he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Many times what Christians teach their children is not embraced by that child until they get old and have to experience some of the hard knocks and bruises that sin can put on you. 
And I want to tell you, a life of sin will put some, put some lumps on your head and scars on your heart, amen, and dents in your mind, and it'll bruise you up pretty bad. And when you get old, you'll wise up and realize, you know what mom and dad taught me? They were right. I kind of have a feeling that this man may have been raised by good, godly, God-fearing people because he was afraid to meet God. He knew he, had, uh, he was getting what he had coming in this life, and therefore he understood something about justice. And he was afraid to meet God in the condition he was in in verses 39 and 40. And he begins to pray. And what a prayer. He, he uh, prayed a prayer of faith that brought him out of the darkness into light and brought him, passed him from death into life and from condemnation to justification. So somebody had uh, taught him some of those things. And you know, when you read in the Bible, I find over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, that the Bible says that we're to continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Paul writing here to the uh, preacher Timothy, and he says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so this passage of scripture says that Timothy had known the scriptures from a little child. Do you know who taught him those scriptures? Do you know who it is? Well, the same epistle, 2 Timothy chapter 1 tells us that it was the faith, there was faith, saving faith in his grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice. And you know something? That mother and grandmother of Timothy taught him the scriptures and he became wise unto salvation because he was taught the scriptures as a child now, Paul was the one that led Timothy to Jesus Christ. Have you ever considered that? It wasn't his mother, Eunice, and it wasn't his grandmother, Lois, but all oh, the foundation that they laid in Timothy's life, that when he met the apostle Paul, he was converted to Christianity and trusted the Lord Jesus as his Savior later in his life. And listen, despair not, Christian parents. Those of you listening to me, I, I realize preachers such as myself, we sometimes put a heavy, heavy guilt trip on the parents. And, and to some degree, that's what our job is, is to call out our mistakes and failures as parents. But listen, sometimes you can do everything in your power. You can pray, you can give time, you can give get them children in church. But somewhere along the line, they have to make it their own. And I'm just telling you, despair not. You might have a prodigal in the far country today. Well, listen, keep praying, keep trusting God, and keep praying that hedge of protection around them, and you'll see the Spirit of God work. I wonder if there was a, that dying thief's mother and father were somewhere praying for him on the day of his execution. And you know what they would have read later in the Gospel of Luke? If they were godly people, they would have read of their son's own conversion outside the city walls of Jerusalem as their son remembered possibly what he was taught as a child and knew enough to begin to fear God and the judgment to come and was wise enough to cry out to Jesus Christ. You keep praying for those prodigals. That prodigal, somewhere along the line, I'm telling you something, some of you got teenagers that are in the far country, or some of you have teenagers that have left the church and are out doing things that you wish that you could cover up that makes you embarrassed, that makes you think, man, I taught you better than that. Listen, stay encouraged and stay on your knees and keep bringing their name up before the throne of grace. Do you know why? Because the things you put into them as a child will come back to them when they're older 
and the Holy Ghost has plenty to work with. If you did the best you could, leave it with God and pray for them. Just like this uh, dying thief right here, he knew to call on God. I can't help but think that his parents might have had a hand in teaching him about that. I see something else in Luke 23 that's an encouragement. I see something that shows the character of this particular dying thief. You say, what's that? He doesn't have any character preacher. He's a, he's a thief. Well, uh, it looks as though he might have been taught something about God in his youth that he went back to here in his dying hour. And I'll tell you something else. This old boy's got a backbone like a saw log. And God, uh, give us more of that. Oh, how we need a revival of bold Christianity. This weak need watered down veneered, hypocritical, I'm ashamed of Jesus Christ, Christianity is never going to bring revival and it's never going to bring people to the, uh, the foot of the cross. But this old boy, he's not ashamed. He takes a public stand. Now understand something. He's dying on a cross next to Jesus Christ. The people that have nailed him to the cross have been mocking him all morning. The bloodthirsty crowd and mob has followed uh, him out to this uh, hill where he's being crucified. The people at the foot of the cross are shooting out the lip. They're wagging their head. They're all mocking him from below his cross. They're all making fun of him. And yet in the midst of all of that, this thief takes a public stand. He stood against the majority and he did it publicly. You know, one reason why I'm never ashamed to stand on a street corner with a sign that says, you must be born again. Jesus saves I see, uh, I see some of the responses we get in Danville when we stand on the street corner, and I'm sure you probably have your own opinion about whether that's a good ministry and everything. And sometimes I've even heard of local churches here uh, debating in their Sunday school whether we're doing good or hurting the cause of Christ. The way I look at that is I'm glad that we give them something biblical to talk about in their Sunday school class for a change rather than the, uh, the most recent U.K. basketball game. Amen, amen right there. But the truth of the matter is, it is good for me personally to take a public stand for Jesus Christ because it helps keep my old proud flesh down. And I've got it and so do you. And this old thief uh, gives us a great example. He was not intimidated by the crowd. He was not worried about public opinion. And he feared God more than he feared man. And he knew uh, this crowd and this mob uh, did not intimidate him, and he knew the man they were crucifying was a good man. He said, this man had done nothing amiss. And so here he stands boldly professing faith in Jesus Christ before a public audience. You know something? I know some Christians who are embarrassed to stand up and give testimony to the goodness of God right in the local church, inside the four walls and the safety of a local church, among other believers. This man wasn't in the safety of the four walls of the church. This man wasn't uh, around those who loved God and professed faith in Christ. This man was publicly being crucified in, in front of a jeering, uh, bloodthirsty crowd that was mocking the Lord. And yet he had the courage. He had the boldness to say, you know something? This man's done nothing amiss. I'm receiving the due reward of my deeds he looked at Jesus Christ and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He wasn't ashamed to take a stand. You know, Nicodemus came to Jesus Christ by night. And we find him mentioned again in John chapter 7 where he begins to take up, a, a, take up for Jesus. But it wasn't until after the, resurrect, I'm sorry, after the crucifixion where Nicodemus came out publicly and helped Joseph of Arimathea 
take the body of the Lord Jesus Christ down from that cross. I'm going to tell you something. God, if you're one of God's, if you're a child of God, God will put you in a position where you will have to take a stand for him. And you know something? It'll do you good uh, to stand publicly for the Lord Jesus Christ. This old dying thief wasn't ashamed. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And that is the whole truth of it. When was the last time you publicly let someone know you stood unashamedly among strangers or even among family and friends and took a stand for what was right and took a stand for Jesus Christ? Hats off to this old dying thief that was getting saved that afternoon. He publicly stood for Jesus Christ in a, in a very hostile environment. I remember reading about an old preacher, Baptist preacher from Akron, Ohio, by the name of Dr. Dallas Billington. And I read his autobiography that he wrote back in 1960. And I remember him telling about traveling westward. He was in Arizona, I believe. This is back in the 1950s. And he was going out there to help plant a church and help get a church started. And on his way out there, he was with his family. And, and uh, they stopped at a restaurant somewhere, I believe, near Phoenix. And he went into this restaurant and he said he sat down. The place was packed. And there was a, a, a greeter at the front of this particular restaurant. And that greeter had a microphone and could talk to the restaurant. And while they were sitting there waiting for their food to be delivered, he said that this, uh, this man began to give testimony of how, as a child, he had gone to the Baptist church and been told he had to be born again or he was going to go to hell, and that scared him. And so he left there and went to the Methodist church, and they told him the same thing, that a rich man died and went to hell, and he'd have to repent and believe on Christ if he was to escape that awful place. And uh, he said, I'm glad that as I got older and could think on my own, he said, I began to study religions and I found that uh, there is no such place as hell. Now, this is the greeter of this restaurant and he is talking to the entire restaurant over this loudspeaker and he's denying the doctrine of a literal hell. And he begins to talk about how that he began to look into the claims of uh, universalism and uh, had be- had joined the ch- the, that church and all these things. Well, Dr. Billington said that when he was, that man was done speaking, he says, my heart smote me because I thought, well, here I am uh, hundreds of miles away from where I pastor, and here I am in a, in a somewhat compromising position because I know this man just espoused falsehood to a huge group of people, and he thought, would I be willing to take a stand for Jesus Christ in a setting like this? And he said that he took his spoon and he tapped his glass, his water glass, to get the attention of the restaurant and he stood to his feet and he says, I'm glad we live in a country where we can give our opinion. And he says, the, the gentleman here has told us uh, how he was confused in the Baptist and Methodist church and afraid of a doctrine in the Bible known as hell. And he said, so he uh, has joined a church that no longer preaches hell. And he says, I have to say that, uh, that in the word of God, the doctrine of hell is still there, no matter what any church teaches. And he gave a few scripture references. He says, but here's the blessing. God says that a man does not have to go there. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he says, I am one of his servants, and I want you to know that the love of God constraineth me. And he says, I must tell you that Jesus Christ died because he loves sinners and he was buried and he rose again that you might not have to taste the eternal flames of hell. But if you'll come to him as a free gift, he'll give you eternal life because the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life. He said, that's all I have to say, and I wanted to say a good word for my Lord. He didn't deny me, and I wouldn't want to deny what I know about him today. Thank you for your attention. And he said as he went to sit down, the entire restaurant exploded in cheering and applause. And he said before he was finished eating, several people walked past his table and said, I sure appreciate your good word for the Lord today. I'm going to tell you something. To take a public stand is a blessing. And it's something that we all need to consider. And it's something we need to be praying about the opportunity to do. Because you'll never know what that public stand will do for you and will also do for those around you. Thank God for the thief's public stand. Thank God for the appearance of this thief. And then number three, let's talk about thank God for the power of the written word. One thing I used to wonder about in this conversion story is how did this man know to call upon Jesus Christ? And how did he know that he had a kingdom? Because when he gets saved in verse 42, what does he say? Bible says here in Luke 23, 42, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And so he knew to call upon Jesus Christ and he asked to be remembered when he came into his kingdom. And I've often wondered, well, amen, I'm glad he asked that. I'm glad he requested that. But how did he know that Jesus Christ had a kingdom? Well, I never considered the simple answer to that. And can I tell you something? If there's some question in the back of your mind about some passage of the scripture, never fear because, listen, the answer is somewhere in the Bible or someone has been shown the answer and it may be just a matter of time until God shows it to you. But I'm going to tell you something I've learned about this old Bible Many times the answer to our questions and perplexities uh, are found hidden in plain sight. In other words, the answer is so simple and so obvious that we kick ourselves later thinking, how come I didn't know that? And so as I considered this one day and was studying this passage, I began to compare Scripture with Scripture, which is how you learn the Bible. And you know what? The Bible says just back there in verse 38, and it records this in every account of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell you that above the Lord Jesus Christ's cross is a placard, a superscription. Look back in Luke 23, verse 38. It says, a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. Look at it. This is the king of the Jews. And, of course, the other gospels tell you the full, uh, the full uh, thing that was written on the plaque, and that was, this is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And you know what? It's real simple. That plaque that was written, that superscription that was written above our Lord's head that day, ends up in the inspired canon. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as I have stated. And you know what that means? That placard that was written was part of the inspired word of God. It was going to make up part of the scriptures when the New Testament was completed. And you know what that old dying thief put his faith in? Oh, yes, now you're seeing it. You see the simple answer? That placard, that old thief leaned forward and looked down there to, to rebuke his friend, his buddy in crime, and he looked up and knew what that placard said above the Lord's head. This is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And he figured there's a king, and if he's a king, that means he has a kingdom. And you know what he did? He put his faith in what that scripture verse said above the Lord's head. And he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He's a king, and he believed that because a king has a kingdom. And he thought, I don't know when it's coming, but I know it's coming. 
and he asked to simply be remembered. That Bible still says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing, quote, by the word of God. And what that placard was above the Lord's head that day was nothing more than a portion of the inspired scriptures, and it led that thief to put his faith in Jesus Christ that day. What a glorious thing. What a blessing. That Bible is powerful. That's why at our church, everything we put out has the written scriptures on it. Do you know why? Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive. It's powerful. It moves. It sticks. It cuts. And I'm telling you, you cannot go wrong quoting the scriptures. You preachers and Sunday school teachers, load your sermon with scriptures and scripture references. Those of you who win souls and witness for the Lord Jesus, amen, quote the scripture. Stick the scripture in there because that's what the Holy Ghost will use to bring a man to saving faith. That's what the Holy Ghost will use to sanctify the body of Christ. There is power in the written word of God, and that's what brought this man to faith in Jesus Christ. I'll say lastly, you know what this man gets? This man that died there with Jesus Christ, I heard a preacher say one time, and I used to say it myself. I'd say, well, he got saved, but he had no rewards. He got saved, but, uh, you know, he, he didn't have time to serve the Lord. And therefore, uh, when he got to heaven, he didn't have any rewards, but he did get there. He had eternal life. Well, that's not exactly true. And I'll tell you for why. The truth of the matter is, we read one, two, three, four, five verses. That's all we read. Five verses that are in the scriptures about this man's conversion. And you know what? He took a public stand. And the Bible records his public stand and his conversion to Jesus Christ by faith. And you know something? God decided, hey, I am going to put, the, I'm going to record in my eternal word the conversion of this man. And since that old dying thief has died, do you know how many preachers have preached his conversion account to the edifying of the body of Christ and to the salvation of hundreds of thousands of sinners. It is untold how many people have been led to Jesus Christ, to faith in Christ, by the simple conversion story of the dying thief. And every time a man gets saved because of Luke 23, that's more rewards on the account of the dying thief. Why, haven't you never read in the Bible where it says, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth? Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, listen, and their works do follow them. Hey, listen, that dying thief was nailed to a cross. What could he do? Well, we've already talked about it. He took a public stand. And when he took that public stand and got saved and put his faith in Jesus Christ, God in his infinite, all-wise uh, thought process, God in all of his infinite wisdom, recorded and preserved that thief's public conversion in five verses in a Bible. And ever since this was recorded in the book of Luke, it has led to untold hundreds of thousands of people that have been saved. And every time they got saved, the thief shared a little bit in the reward of their salvation. Their works do follow them. Thank God for that. Listen, he is still a roadblock to sinners. Listen, I wrote a little book called Heaven's GPS that just breaks down uh, the process of how this man came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
And you know something? If anybody ever gets saved off that little booklet and comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, guess what? The dying thief will share in that reward in eternity. Oh, listen, <clears throat> I know he could have lived a life and he didn't have much time to do anything, but oh, the old saying and the song that we sing is little as much when God is in it. And God was in this man getting saved. And that man's conversion has been the means of many others coming to know Jesus Christ. In closing today, let me ask you a soul-searching question. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ? If you were to die today, do you know that you'd be with him? Well, you can. If you don't, you say, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You say, how can I do that? Call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just like the dying thief cried out in faith and passed from death to life, the offer still stands that whosoever will, let him come. And Jesus said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. May God help you to understand that today. Until next week, may the Lord bless you as you look to him.